All right, I want to introduce our speaker for today. Uh, her name is Larissa Marks. And uh, she, her and Steve are married. We've heard Steve preach several times. Uh, Larissa has been uh, co-leading a very powerful um, group called Bonfire uh, that sparked a lot of little groups, so that's really awesome. She's also been a resource to our community uh, through spiritual direction. Uh, so a lot of um, people, uh, a lot of leaders actually are contacting uh, Larissa to, to sit beside them and, and have some spiritual direction, which is really cool. I think that's an awesome resource for our church. And one thing that I really appreciate, um, the Marks have been with our core team since uh, the beginning of the year. One thing that I really appreciate about uh, Larissa is, is the peace and the depth that she brings to our our motley crew of core team members. Uh, we are very excited, anxious people wanting to do ministry. Um, and uh, Larissa really brings uh, a sense of um, calmness and, and depth. And I, I really feel like when she shares um, about the joy and, and the walk uh, of, of, of how good it is to follow Jesus, she really shares from a personal place. So I I, I love that um, whenever she's in a room. Um, so, Larissa, start us off here. Good morning. <laughs> uh, it's so good to be here, Blue Water. I'm so excited to be speaking this morning. Um, like TJ said, I'm on staff here. And uh, since, I think, January, that was the official start. And... Um, yeah, like he described, I've been uh, uh, in the role of pastor of spiritual formation, which is basically a fancy way of saying I'm helping our church uh, go a little deeper with God and become a little bit more like Jesus and step deeper into the journey. And so in that role, I've gotten to um, pastor and counsel and guide and pray with a lot of you guys, and I'm so grateful for that opportunity to do that. Um, I've seen God working in a lot of different people's lives here, and that's really exciting. Um, before coming here, um, Steve and our kids, we were in Los Angeles. I think a lot of you guys know that. God brought us here two years ago, but we were in LA, and Steve and I were both serving uh, in college ministry with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and we were at USC, um, so we were right in the heart of LA at USC, and actually that's how Steve and I met each other. So. Um, I was a student, I was a student in that USC uh, InterVarsity chapter, and as a senior in my spring semester, I was basically trying to decide, okay, what's next? What does God have for me? What's next beyond graduation? Remember that feeling? It's like, oh, you're just anxious and kind of considering all the options. And um, one of the options that I was thinking about was joining the InterVarsity staff team as an intern. So I was thinking about it and praying about it. and. Um, kind of in, the, in that season or during that semester, I met this really nice guy named Steve. He had been a volunteer with the InterVarsity chapter. And I mentioned to him, just I think on the day that we met, I mentioned, oh, I'm thinking about joining the staff team. And he got really excited. And he's like, oh my gosh, me too. I'm thinking about being an intern. You should totally do it. And I was thinking to myself, oh, this guy's so nice. He's so interested. He's excited to like, be a ministry partner. Um, so you know, eventually, we both decided to come on as interns. 
And in like the first month or so of us uh, being on the same staff team, he asked me out on a date. And in that moment, I realized, oh, he didn't just want like a ministry partner. He was actually looking for a different kind of partner. Okay, I get it. Um, so that's the story of how we met. Um, and really, for Steve and I both, um, you know, TJ talked about us partnering as directors of Bonfire and leading that group. Um, for so much of our relationship, we've been partners. So partners in ministry, partners in marriage, and then later partners as parents in parenting. So we have three kids, who a lot of you guys know. Um, and back in 2009, so before we had kids, we were young and just married, um, or had met, we'd been married for about two years, um, we discovered we were pregnant. And of course, we were so excited, right? That moment you realize you're pregnant, and we had felt ready to start a family for a while. Um, and I just remember pregnancy being a really kind of a weird season. So on one hand, you're like, you're getting excited for this person that you've never met before. <laughs> like, you don't know them. Um, and at least for me, I, th I think the pregnancy, so the nine months of me carrying our child, I just started to feel like progressively connected to him. I started to feel like my heart expanding to love this little person that I literally had never seen or touched or met. Um, so it's this weird season of like loving somebody and growing in love for them, but also you're like waiting and waiting to see who they're gonna become and who they are. And so I remember um, one of the most vivid moments in my life was when the doctor, when Aaron was born, so this is our son Aaron, the moment he was born and he got placed into my arms by the doctor. Um, and I just remember just feeling this overwhelming sense of love for my son, who I didn't, I, I had just met, right? Um, but I got to hold him, I got to see him, I got to smell him, and I just remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I've already loved you, and yet this experience of love is like a whole nother level. Um, that's what I want to talk about today, love. Um, so we're entering into a series of love, and it's one thing for us to know about love, but it's a whole nother thing to fully experience love, right? I think we can all resonate with that, right? We can read about love, we can see movies about love, we can hear our friends talking about love, and yet that's totally, um, it all totally changes when we ourselves have a real, tangible experience of love. And I don't think that's just true of friendships or parenting or romance. I think that's also true of um, our relationship with God. Um, right? We can know about God. We can um, know what it looks like to love God. Or we can know in our head that, oh, God loves us. And yet, it's a game changer when we actually experience God's love for ourselves. So we're going to talk more about that. Um, we're launching into a whole new series. Um, it's a whole series on love. And so we're going to explore as a church over the next few weeks uh, different, different facets of love. So different kinds of relationships, different expressions of love. Um, and uh, as I think about us entering into this 
uh, new sermon series. What I'm really excited about is for us as a whole church to not just grow in our understanding or knowledge of what love is, but for to us to actually have a deep and powerful and life-changing experience of God's love for us. Can we do that? Um, so let me just pray and invite God's Spirit to be here and speak to us. God, we welcome you. We welcome you here. I pray that you would speak to us today, that you would give us um, a more tangible experience and just a real taste of what it means that you love us, how you think about us, how you cherish us. And God, I pray that all of us here in this room would be open to whatever it is that you want to say or do in us. So come, God, we invite you here, we welcome you, and we're so grateful that you're present with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so we all want to experience love, right? I think our whole world wants that. Um, I think that's a, just a core part of how we're wired as humans. We're made to experience and know and find love in different ways. Um, and yet, I think there are a lot of different sources and voices about, about what, God, uh, what love is, right? We can see that in media. If you Google search love, you'll come up with all kinds of stuff. Um, even if you just ask people next to you, like, well, how do you define love? What's your experience of it? I think we would get a whole host of answers. And I think that can get really confusing for us. Um, so oftentimes, uh, our love or our, our sense of what love is or our definition of love gets distorted. It gets confused and it gets muddled. Um, and so today, and also in the upcoming weeks, we as a church, we want to allow God to shape our understanding of what love is. We want to let him define that. Um, so today we're specifically going to look at Jesus. We're going to look at what does Jesus say about love? How does he define it? Um, and to do that, we're going to look at a story that Jesus tells that I think gives us a pretty a beautiful snapshot and a picture of what God's love is like for us. So we're going to, um, in your bulletins, you'll find the passage. It'll be up here. We're going to look at Luke 15. Um, it's a story that Jesus tells. Uh, it's Luke 15, verses 11 through 24. And so just for context in the setting, um, right before this, Jesus has been uh, hanging out with all kinds of people. So the scripture says it, he's been hanging out with sinners, tax collectors, all these people who basically don't live by the religious rules of the day. So they're kind of like these unholy, unruly bunch of people. And all the religious leaders um, see this, see Jesus hanging out with these folks, and they begin accusing him. They're like, you are not supposed to befriend unholy people. What are you doing? Why are you hanging out with all these people? And so that's where Jesus tells this story. And this is where we enter in. So let me just read it out for us. And you can follow along in your bulletin. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off in a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. 
He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Um, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. I love this. I love this picture that Jesus paints with this story. Um, and as I said before, Jesus says this, tells this story in a response to the religious leader's accusation that he shouldn't be hanging out with all these unholy, ungodly people. Um, and in this day, uh, just to fill out the context a little bit, religious rules were very important. They were important to the Jewish people, and it was basically assumed that if you followed this set of religious rules, you were close to God. That's what gave you access and intimacy and understanding and relationship with God. And on the flip side, if you weren't following these rules, if you're doing other things or living by a different standard, you were automatically far from God, right? God did not care about you, you were disconnected from God, and you had no access to relationship with him. So that's the context. And additionally, um, even the people that you hung out with, the people that you associated with, said something about your relationship with God, right? So that's what these religious leaders are saying. They're saying, Jesus, you must be a really unholy guy, an ungodly person, because you're hanging out with ungodly people. That was what they were saying and accusing him of. So what does Jesus do to respond? Um, he tells this story of a father's love. He tells a story about a father and a son and what happens in their relationship. Now the, the hearers of the story, the listeners um, hearing Jesus tell this story, they would automatically know that the father figure in the story is a representation of God. So they would automatically be kind of thinking like, okay, Jesus is talking about something about God. What is he saying? Um, and that would be just the question on their minds. What is Jesus saying about God? And so I'd like us to think and look at this story um, with that same lens. What is Jesus saying about God? What is the picture he's trying to paint about what God is? And to do that, I want to go a little deeper and look at a few specific observations um, in the story. And specifically, I want to look a little more closely at the father. So let's look at a few observations of the father. First, the father is generous. So under Jewish law, um, like I said, there were a lot of laws of how to live. And under Jewish law, one of the laws was about property. And so like what to do with your property when you died. Basically how to will it for your 
um, family when you passed away. And the rule, the law, was that um, a father was supposed to give two-thirds of his property to the, his eldest son. And if there was a younger son, that younger son would get one-third of his property. So it's interesting, right? Already in this story, this younger son's request, he's basically um, being pretty audacious and bold with his request of how much property he's, he's asking for or demanding for his father to give him, right? He's essentially saying, give me now, dad, give me now um, what I have coming when you die. Um, and not only that, I don't want just my rightful portion, I want more than my fair share. So give it, me, give it to me now so that I can get out of here because I'm gone. Can you imagine being in the shoes of the father in that moment? Your son is basically saying, I don't care about this family. I don't care about you. My main priority right now is to get the heck out of here. And I want to get the wealth that I need to leave. Um, I think most parenting advice books would probably say this son is totally out of line, right? It would say, Dad, you better shape up your son because he's being a greedy punk, right? Um, and the father, again, he was in his full legal right to refuse his son. He could have reprimanded him for this request. And yet, what does he do instead? He gives the son what he requested. He gives him exactly what he requested. Um, knowing, probably knowing, what his son is going to do with it, right? It's pretty clear that the son is about to leave. Um, and yet the father doesn't control him, doesn't withhold. He gives to him really generously. So the father is generous. Second observation um, from the text, um, the father is compassionate. So the story says, while he was still a long way off, while the son was a long way off, the father saw him and he felt compassion, compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. So we, as the listeners of the story, we know what the son has gone and done, right? He's basically taken all of his wealth, all of the property that the son, I mean, that the father very generously gave him, and he's basically run off and totally squandered everything, lost everything. I just imagine someone taking all of their money and savings and the savings of their parents and like running off to Vegas and totally blowing it. Um, that's what the son has done. So he's not looking real good in this story and he's um, really, he's squandered everything and now he's at rock bottom, right? The story says he's starving, he's living in poverty, he's begging for others, to others for help. And then finally the son has this little moment of clarity he realizes, oh my gosh, I'm like about to die here. I'm starving. And yet the servants, the lowest servants in my father's household, they have it far better than me. What if I could do something about that? What if I can go back to my dad and apologize? Um, so he, the son in this moment, he's basically assuming he, he's lost any right to the family, right? Um, he's thinking, oh, maybe if I'm lucky, I could become a low servant in my father's household. That's how, like, small his bar is. I could be a slave in my father's household. Um, and I think that's just a reflection of how deeply he knows he messed up. He knows he messed up. He knows he lost everything. He knows he's at rock bottom. 
and he knows that he has no right to anything beyond being maybe a slave in his father's house. Um, so I'm imagining his trek home, right? He's thinking, okay, like, what is the best way I can apologize to my dad? What is the best way I can grovel and I can beg and I can ask for forgiveness and basically do everything I can to win my father back a little bit to my side, just enough to give me, uh, you know, a hired role as his servant? Um, so he has no idea on his way back how his father is going to react. I think... Um, I think it's a pretty legitimate uh, posture that he's taking, right? He knows that he messed up, and he knows that maybe if he apologizes, he can get back in a little bit. So he doesn't know. And then what's amazing then is his father's actual reaction, right? The father sees him from a distance, and he doesn't see him and then like freak out like, oh, there's my son who really messed up, or there's my son who's coming back finally all mad. He has compassion. Compassion. Compassion is, um, Steve talked about compassion in one of his earlier sermons, but compassion is basically a deep moving in your spirit um, when you see the suffering of another person. So the father, from a distance, he sees how much his son has suffered. Not how much he's done wrong, but how much he has suffered. And he's moved with compassion. And then what does he do? He runs out. He runs out to meet his son. And he embraces him. He kisses him. There's this beautiful picture of intimacy um, and embracing. Right? When we embrace somebody, that's pretty, like, when we embrace somebody, basically we're saying, I want you close. I'm taking you in. I love you. I care about you. I want to be near to you. Um, culturally, no father would ever display this kind of affection to a son. That is just, would be culturally inappropriate. Um, and it's almost like, I think the readers of the story, so the religious leaders who are listening to Jesus tell this story, um, I think at this point they're probably judging the father. <laughs> so they're earlier, I think they were judging the son for being irresponsible and squandering his wealth. I think at this point in the story, when the father runs and kisses his son and embraces him, I think they're judging the father. They're thinking, why would the father do that? The father should actually tell his son to shape up. The father should get his son um, to make better choices, right? And yet he's embracing him. That doesn't make sense. But this is what Jesus says in the parable. The father greets his son with excitement, with compassion, and with rejoicing. So that's the third point from this passage. The father celebrates his son, right? The father doesn't respond and say, um, well, you made some really awful decisions, so let's talk about how to change that, right? He doesn't say, hey, why don't you shape up your life a little bit, and then you, maybe you can come back into the family. Make, make some better choices. Shape up. Um, in fact, he completely ignores the son's apology. Did you guys catch that in the story? The son is, like, in the middle of apologizing, and the, and the father ignores it, right? Instead, the father is all wrapped up in wanting to honor his son who just returned. He honors him. Um, he gives him a ring. He gives him a robe. Um, he basically is restoring his son back into the family, back into full sonship, as if the son had never returned. 
He's restoring him. He's celebrating him. And then he, he orders the entire household to celebrate with him, to join in his celebration, to join in his joy. Um, fattened calves, so in the story he has a fattened calf uh, killed for the party. Um, those are really raised for very special occasions, very special occasions. So the fact that he's doing this for the son says, I want to have the biggest celebration for my son. He was lost and now is found. He was gone and now our son, my son, has returned home. And so there's joy and there's rejoicing because his beloved son has returned. So the father's love is generous, it's compassionate, and it celebrates his son. And this is the kind of God that we have. This is what Jesus is saying about the kind of God that we have. We have a God whose, whose love is compassionate. We have a God whose love is generous. And he celebrates us as his children. So I want to share a little bit of my own story. Um, I was born and raised on Maui. And uh, growing up, I always had a vague experience or a vague understanding of God. So when I was about five, um, my two parents had their own like spiritual awakening and turning. So they became Christians. They started following Jesus. And because of that, I grew up going to church. I grew up listening to sermons. I grew up in Sunday school hearing about God, right? And it's all about God loves you. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus loves you. God loves you. Um, and I just remember um, always like knowing in my head, okay, God loves me. And yet, because I had never experienced anything beyond that, I was mostly experiencing other people telling me about God's love. Um, I think for me, in a deeper way, God's love just remained a pretty distant and theoretical idea. It didn't feel personal in any way. I hadn't experienced it in any way. Um, so fast forward to me turning 18. I was about to leave for college, and leaving Maui to go to college somewhere else had basically been my entire life's goal. <laughs> I remember even when I was eight years old in the third grade thinking, I need to get off this little rock, leave these people, leave my family, and go somewhere else to really live. And so when I was 18, um, I felt like I was finally free. I was finally free to live my own life and do my own thing and not have to be the good girl, not have to live by anyone else's rules. Um, and so I was very excited. So I went to college in California at USC. Um, and uh, the first few months of college felt amazing. <laughs> I could do my own thing. I could stay up as late as I want. And that is exactly what I did. Uh, I made tons of friends in my dorm. Um, I made friends with the people that I knew were going to like uh, have access to other friends. Um, we went to parties, we drank a lot, I hooked up with boys. Um, so basically I did all the things that every single parent here is like totally afraid that their kids are going to do when they leave. But there's a change to my story, so I'll get there in a minute. Um, but that's what I did for the first few months and it felt amazing. I was like, I'm finally living the way I want. This is, this is what I always wanted and here I am, I have it. And then, I started having the experience 
of it not feeling very amazing. It actually started feeling pretty hollow. Um, it's like that moment where you have been working so hard and going in a certain direction to get something, to go somewhere, and once you get there, the actual experience of it is not nearly as good as what you had imagined it to be. I had that experience. Um, and so I started to just feel like, I don't know, I don't know about this. It's feeling kind of empty. And so I remember one night, um, I was out at a party with a, with a bunch of friends. Um, we went to a fraternity party, and these parties were just crazy. Um, dancing and hooking up and drinking. And so I remember being there, and I was with, um, yeah, a group of my friends. And at some point during the party, you know, we'd been drinking a lot and having fun. And at some point during the party, I kind of made my way up the stairs of the house that we were in, and somehow I had found my way on a balcony. And this balcony, um, so it was really loud and all the music inside, the balcony, once I stepped out, it was totally silent. It was quiet, and suddenly I was alone on this balcony. And I remember stepping out, and I was just looking down at the street below. And I, as I stood there, I had this overwhelming and very sudden sense of loneliness. I suddenly felt like this deep despair in me. And there was something in my soul that said, is this really all there is? There must be more. Please let there be more. And I just kind of like, I didn't say that out loud, but I kind of spoke that in myself. Um, and after a very brief, silent moment, I heard a voice. And this voice said, Larissa, I am that something more. I'm the more that you're looking for. Come to me. And as I heard this voice, I was like washed over by a presence that I had never felt before. And in that moment, I knew, something in me knew, I'm experiencing God for the first time. This is an experience of God, and he's speaking to me, and he knows my name, and he's inviting me into more relationship with him. That was the first time I've, I've, I've ever experienced God. Um, and in that moment, I just knew. I knew that God cared for me, right? All the little messages or things that I had known in my head, I was suddenly actually in. Um, the, God's presence was doing that um, for me. Um, and I knew that I now wanted to come home to the Father right in that moment. Something in my soul knew that's what I want, that's what I'm looking for, that's what feels empty in me, and I need to go home to my dad. Suddenly God had gone from a distant idea to a real tangible presence to be known and to be felt and to be experienced. And that was essentially the moment that catalyzed the rest of my life. So I realized that I need to make my life about pursuing this God who loves me and to experience more of that love, however, it, whatever it takes. Um, 
And not only that, but I started realizing I want every single person around me to experience that same love because it's so amazing. <clears throat> so what's God's invitation to us, you guys? What is he inviting us into? What are the implications from this story that actually have, might have an effect on our lives? Um, I want to highlight just a few uh, implications from the story. Um, first implication, there is nothing, nothing that disqualifies us from the love of God. Can I say that again? There is nothing that disqualifies us, disqualifies you from the love of the Father. We see this in the parable, right? The Father's love for his Son is constant. No matter if he's close, no matter if he's far, um, no matter how badly he screwed up, the Father still loves him, and that is the way it is for us and God. We can run away. We can say, screw you, God, I don't need you. We can basically live in full-on rebellion, and yet God's love is still available to all of us. I think for us as humans, we really struggle with this reality, right? And I think that struggle is rooted in the fact that most of our human experience of love, there are things that disqualify us, right? Love in relationship is often, it often feels like something that we need to win from other people. And if we can win it, we can also lose it, right? We can lose people's love for us. Um, and that message, there's a message for us that tells us that, our, that love really is conditional. It's conditional on us doing certain things or acting a certain way or being a certain way, right? We need to win people over. And if we mess up, we need to go and make it right. That's what people, that's what the world tells us. And so I think because of that, we live in that fear that it can be won or it can be lost. That there are things that I can qualify me to gain love and there are things that I can do to disqualify myself from experiencing love. Um, so as a parent, so I have three kids, as a parent, when I think about what is the deepest thing that I want my, parent, um, my kids to know and receive, it's this truth. I want them to know that they are loved no matter what. No matter what they do, no matter what they don't do, that they are still loved. And so actually my daughter, Alex, so she's three and a half, she and I have this common exchange, and I think sometimes I do this with Erin too, but I'll go up to her, and I'll put my hands on her little shoulders, she's like this high, and I'll say, Alex, do I love you a little or a lot? And she looks up at me, her huge eyes, and she's like, a lot, mommy. And then I'll ask her, Alex, do I love you just sometimes or all the time? She's like, all the time and she knows it right she's taking that in and that's my message to her that i want her to know as my child um, that even if she messes up even in her lowest moments she's still loved and that there's nothing that she can do to disqualify herself from my love and that's the same for us that's the same truth for us with god um, second implication god's deepest desire is for his children to be at home with him 
He wants his children, us, to be in relationship with him. Why? One, because he loves us. Two, it's because he knows that it's only in his love that we will experience true home, right? Um, I went off, in my own story, I went off searching for something good, something better. God wanted me to know, no, Larissa, the true home is with me. Right? We're all searching for home in some ways. We're all searching for home. And I think because of that, the sun in the parable um, is a picture of every single one of us. There's a sense of we, we feel something lacking. We're looking for this ultimate place of security and safety and rest. And the truth in the story is that though we might find glimpses of that somewhere else, they're never going to be completely satisfying. Never. It's only at home, in the presence of the Father, that we're going to experience our true selves and our truest contentment. And God knows this, and so that is what his deepest longing is, that we would come home into his presence. And yet, the weird and amazing thing is, he doesn't force that on us. He gives us a free choice, right? He allows us the freedom to choose it. So my question for us today is, are there ways that you've been traveling somewhere else? Are there ways that you've been in a distant land apart from God? Maybe it's in a big way, like your whole life, but maybe it's just in an area of your life where you feel like, I'm just, I've been traveling and looking for home somewhere else that's not God. And if that's you, in whatever ways you've left God or disconnected from him, the good news is this. His greatest desire, his invitation to you is to come home to him. Um, third, when we experience the Father's love, we have that same love to give to others. Um, I'm inspired by God's love. Are you guys inspired by God's love? I'm inspired by it. I want to have that level of generosity and compassion and love for people around me. I want that. I want that for my, um, my, for my kids. I want that for my husband. I want that for every single person that God has put in my life. And yet, as I try to love people, I think sometimes I can be pretty good at it. <laughs> and yet, I reach the end of my own resources. I try to love people, and yet I fail. I make mistakes, I turn back into my own selfish ways, right? I start thinking about, well, what am I getting or what do I want? This happens all the time for me as a parent. I'll even start the day like, okay, I just need to love my kids really well. That's my main assignment today. And yet midway through, I've like lost all patience and I'm yelling at my three kids, right? I run out, we run out. Um, and so the reality is that to love like the Father, to love in that limitless, generous, and compassionate way, we must experience his love for us. We cannot give away what we haven't experienced ourselves. We can't. That just doesn't work. And so this is a daily thing for me. When I'm filled by God's love, when I feel oriented as his child and him as my father, when I'm like in that place, I'm way more able to pour out God's love into others. And I think a lot of us experience that. And so I think that part of the invitation to us today is to receive more of God's love for ourselves, but also so that we can extend that to other people. Amen? So you guys, Blue Water, what might happen if we experience more of God's love today? 
not just in theory, but today? What might happen? How might our own souls be changed? How might we become more in touch with our identity as God's beloved children? The kind of children that he's compassionate with and generous with. The kind of children that he celebrates when we're with him. He celebrates with us. Can you imagine knowing at your deepest core of who you are that you're loved by God the Father? Just pause and think about that. I want you to think about it. How would your life feel different if you were loved, fully loved by God? How would your relationships be different? How would how you do your work and ministry be different if you knew you were loved by God? I believe God's love has the capacity to change us. To, to change us as individuals and to change us as a church. And I believe that um, the question isn't whether or not he loves us, right? That's not the question. He already proves that. The question is, will we choose to receive his love for us? Will we say, yes, God, I want that. Yes, God, pour that into me. Yes. So my exhortation today for us is this. For us to become more loved by God. For us to experience God's love to our core so that we would know who we are, so that we would know who other people are, that they're loved children. Um, so that we can come home to the Father in whatever ways that we've run off into a distant land so that we could come home. And as I envision that for us as a church, I really believe um, that Blue Water as a church is going to be light and good news to the people around us, right? The more that we experience God's love for us, us, the more that we have to pour out to other people. And so I encourage us, Blue Water, that we would be people who pursue that to pursue God's love in whatever ways we can, to receive it. In a little while, we're going to respond, have a space to respond and receive more of God's love. I also encourage us to be a place where people from the outside can come and experience that love. Um, so the invitation today is to come home and receive more of his love. So let me just invite up the worship team. Um, we're going to sing a song, have some worship. Um, I want us... As we worship, as we sing, um, I want you to invite God to speak to you. Ask him, God, come. I want to experience more of lo your love. What do you want to do in me today? Um, so let's worship. <laughs>